0: Hello everybody, my name is Jason West and this is PodClass. We are back! We are back! And when I say we, of course, I don't just mean that I'm back. You're back too. We're back together again after quite a few months off. Uh, I am really excited to share these lost episodes with you and explain where the heck I went uh, these last few months and what is in store for the future of the show. Uh, yes, there will be a future of the show. I've got a great show for you today, one of the first lost episodes, so why don't we dive right in with my teacap of the Week, presented by R Squared T. That's right, we are sponsored now. R Squared T, did you know That a recent survey found that American workers feel compelled to work through their lunch because of their workload. I mean, Lord, as a teacher, I cannot even think of the last time I just had a lunch on my own without students coming in, asking for help. Yeah, definitely work through my lunch. Uh, Were you also aware that tea is the best choice to pair with your lunch because it helps digestion, gives you energy, and yet... Is delicate enough to help you relax and focus? That's just science. I know I knew that. And R squared's pu'er tea, which is what I'm drinking this week, with its earthy, roasted flavors, is the perfect drink to neutralize the oily and greasy food that we so often eat for lunch. So let me get my glass of R squared pu'er tea here. Okay, so. The history of Pu'er tea is going to take us all the way back to the Yunnan province in southwest China where it was first brewed during the Han Dynasty. That's like 200 years before Jesus was born. This tea has been around. Fun fact, Pu'er can only be cultivated and fermented in China due to the specific weather and soil conditions required to make this delicious brew. Pu'er is unique because it has an extremely distinct earthy flavor. It's like it's like drinking a hot cup of ancient earth, only it's extremely smooth on the palate and provides an almost nutty aftertaste. Now, before you scoff at the idea of drinking something that tastes like, well, what I call ancient mud, consider two things. One, some of the world's best wines have been described as having notes of tobacco, burnt rubber, and freshly sharpened pencils. And second, Pu'er has been used for centuries as a healing tea to promote overall health, energy, and vitality. Chinese medicines claim that it possesses a strong life energy, and it can improve blood circulation in the body, which helps flush out toxins, lowers inflammations, and promotes optimal digestive health. I know wine is delicious, but it ain't going to do all that. And let me tell you, (laughs) I needed all of those things these last few months, so let me tell you about uh, where I've been the last few months, because, man, I've been MIA since, what, February? So, I had these four episodes that I recorded a few months back, um, quite a while ago now, and the idea was to air these episodes in February, March, and April, and have the season end in April, uh, right before the ap testing window that two week time window of time where uh the students are testing began because i knew i'd be extremely busy during that time and i knew everyone else would be extremely busy uh with wrapping up a school year and getting ready for the summer and all that and give myself the summer to start my research for the new season and get things going for the fall and then a funny thing happened uh turns out ap season really truly starts in earnest in february and when it starts it (laughs) it doesn't start slowly it's just like uh the first wave is a big one and you are just riding it the entire way and just when you think it's dying down then another huge wave comes and you're like oh wow i didn't realize that the last wave wasn't big compared to this wave which is enormous and uh yeah the waves just took me <laughs> and I rode them and I made it out alive. But, uh, lesson learned for next year, I had no idea how busy that time of the year was going to be. So, uh, my second season will probably end around February next year and I will have planned for that, uh, knowing what I know now. Um, so AP testing for those that don't know, it's a, uh, AP stands for Advanced Placement, and these are classes that high school students take that are college-level classes, and they take them essentially all year. I say essentially because the class starts at the beginning of the year, and it goes all the way until the first or second week of May, and that's when the students take their sort of exit exam, if you will, to see how much they have learned from that years, almost years' worth of class, and whether or not they've learned enough or can exhibit that they've learned enough to indicate that they don't need to take that class in college. It, it, it's a wonderful opportunity for students to get an idea as to what college classes are like, to potentially save a lot of money, uh, to not have to pay for certain classes. It's, um, there are a lot of benefits. To taking AP classes. I'm not going to say that uh, I am as fond of necessarily the College Board as I am with AP classes, but uh, I, I firmly believe that many, many students, if not most students, should take uh, an AP class. And at my school, we have about, I'm going to round up a little bit here, but we have about 2,000 students taking almost 4,000 AP exams. And my role was to make sure that these tests ran smoothly and that everyone got to the test on time, that they had all the information that they needed. And uh, boy, (laughs) quite the two-week period. Uh, I would say that I worked around 80 extra hours outside of my normal duty day working for these, uh, you know, prepping these AP tests, getting them ready for the morning and then getting them ready for the, uh, the next day. Uh, I walked, man, it was kind of, it kind of became a, a game uh, and I'm fairly competitive. So it was not necessarily a healthy game for me, but I would look at my step counter on my phone and I was walking a minimum of seven and a half to eight miles a day, sometimes upwards of 11 and a half, 12 miles a day. I was just motoring. I was going places. Uh, I lost about six pounds in in those two weeks, which, uh, you know, I'm not going to complain about that. That was pretty nice. Uh, But it was a really busy time. And, uh, you know, hey, it was my first year and everything went about as well as I could have hoped for it to go. Everyone took their tests. Well, I should say everyone who wanted to take their tests took their tests. We had a bunch of kids who didn't show up to take their tests, which that's something I want to work on for next year. But uh, scores came out about a week ago. There were no complications with kids getting their scores. Uh, so the chapter, my first year in this role, uh, has finally come to a close. And I am excited and I'm ready to move on uh, to year two. The other thing I've been doing uh, the last few months, I've been doing a lot of reflecting, uh, especially on just, you know, how my first year went, uh, my first year in leadership. And I got to say that my first year in this new role, was kind of like being a first year teacher all over again. Uh, There was a lot that went well, but there was a lot that I wish had gone better. And there was a lot that I wish that I could have already known going into it but you can't know until you go through it. You know what I mean? And I know that I can do better. And the key really is to remember that I'm still learning and that I'm growing as well. And if I were to hear a first year teacher or if I were to reflect back on my first year of teaching and think there's no way that that's the, the end all be all of my abilities. That's, that's the baseline. That's where I'm going to start from and grow from. Uh, And I can't beat myself up too much over not being an expert (laughs) in my first year. But, you know, it's one of those things where you know what you want, but you just don't necessarily have the skill set to meet the level that you want to meet yet. Uh, And so that was kind of, that was the big experience of my first year, was working through the discomfort of not being as good as I knew I wanted to be and not necessarily knowing how to get there until I got through that first year. And I know that next year I am going to be better than, better than I was this year, but I'm still going to have obviously a lot of room to grow. Uh, but it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm so much more confident in myself because I've, I've done it and I didn't screw it up. <laughs> I, I would describe my job when people would say oh what exactly do you do as an AP coordinator and I'd say well my role is basically support the students in any way I can, support the AP teachers in any way I can and don't screw everything up <laughs> and that, and that's kind of how I've uh, t- that was the approach that I took throughout my entire first year in this role and I don't think i have to worry as much about screwing everything up because i know that i didn't screw it all up in my first year and i'm ready to go into my second year and uh yeah again the key is just to remember that i am still learning and i am still growing and there's just no way that i can compare my comfort level with this new position and this new role as a leader to the comfort level that I had as a teacher. And that was a really big uh, transition that I had to go through of leaving the classroom where I felt extremely confident in my abilities to do that job well and moving somewhat laterally. I'm still a teacher on special assignment, but uh, taking on a new role with greater leadership responsibilities at the school, having to start all over in that respect with your understanding of what your role is and how to effectively execute your duties while also trying to you know navigate the new culture of the school it uh yeah it, it was a lot, and I learned. So much about myself and what my weaknesses and what my strengths are, and yeah, I I don't know if this is coming across as clearly uh, in in my little monologue here, but I am more motivated to get into this next school year than I've been in a while. This job has really re-energized me and really um, just gotten a lot of my creative juices flowing for what. I can be in this field and I'm just really excited to get started and I hope that all of you out there listening, whether you're in education or not, can find this kind of uh, creative energy to put into your job and can find something that drives you forward and gets you excited about waking up and going to work every day. Uh, because I've also been on the other end where, phew, man, <laughs> I was not excited to get up uh, and go to work the next day, or I was not excited to start the next school year. Uh, there, is, there are a few things as deflating as knowing that you have to go somewhere that you don't want to be and spending the majority of your day being somewhere and doing something that you don't want to do. And um yeah, I I just hope uh you can all find some of this magic that I have uh seemed to that I seem to have stumbled into recently. So um yeah. Anyway, that was a very long tea cap. It was uh like I said, it was not tea capping the week, it was tea capping the last few months. Next week, uh we'll have a new tea from R squared T and I promise to be <laughs> A lot more brief in my teacap because it'll just be for um, about a week or so. But before we go into the show, I want to let you know that R-squared tea is premium organic loose-leaf tea packed in biodegradable pyramid sachets. And the pyramid sachet is definitely the way to go. Anytime I open a packet of tea or if I go to a restaurant or a cafe and I order a tea... And it does not come in a pyramid sachet if it comes in that classic teabag shape. Mm, no, no, no. Uh, I know it is not going to be uh, the quality of tea that I was hoping it would be. But yes, the pyramid sachets is is definitely the way to go. And today, R Squared is offering 10 free single-serving samples with free shipping to the podcast audience. So... All you have to do is DM their Instagram account at R Squared T. That's R S Q U A R E D T E A. And let them know that you are one of the fabulous podcast listeners and you too can experience the joy of drinking this delicious puer tea. Free samples are provided, of course, on a first come, first serve basis, and shipping restrictions may apply. Okay, so, my special guest today is Victor Gonzalez. Victor Gonzalez is, I don't know why I said his full name like that, Victor is a coach, an educator. He is someone whom I've known for about seven or eight years at this point. I actually knew him when he was first getting into education. We'll talk a bit about that in the interview. You know, he's one of those people w- where you you meet them, and you know right away, oh, th- this guy, this guy's got it. He's 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 gonna he's gonna make it in education. He's got that special sauce, and uh, you know he he kind of just comes across, you know, like like a hug, <laughs> like a living, breathing hug. He's just a uh, he 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 leads with his whole heart, and he brings that to his classroom, and to his everyday interactions with students, Uh, just a great guy. And I I see, as bright of a career as he has right now, I, I see him having an even brighter future. In our interview, we talk about the call to action that got him into teaching, why it's important to give your friends homework, and the impact of planting metaphorical seeds in your classroom. But before we get into the show, let's pause and take a quick fake commercial break. Hello. Today's episode is brought to you by High School Yearbooks. High School Yearbooks, you'll regret how you look now, but in 20 years, you'll wish you still look that great. That's right, High School Yearbooks, giving you complicated feelings about the aging process since 1845. <laughs>
1: wonderful and very com- complicated, the advisor role, because we're essentially a second counselor for mm. the students. And we are the ones who communicate with parents about um, grades, office hours, test prep. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a pretty big role. And that's why, you know, four classes yeah. sounds like not a lot. But when you add all the other things, sure, it's sure. like June six.
0: <laughs> How many classes do your students take per day? They
1: take um, freshmen and sophomores take five and uh, juniors and seniors take six
0: that's great um welcome to the show thank you thanks for uh thanks for being for here me. <laughs> um i talked a bit about you in the intro and how we know one another i think it's crazy <laughs> that i worked with you seven years ago mm-hmm. yeah. when, when you when you mentioned to me you're like oh this is my seventh year of teaching I, like, no, that that can't be right. <laughs> like, there's just like no way. And then I went back and I was like, oh, yeah, that is. Yeah. I, I have no idea where the time has gone. It's mm-hmm. crazy how long ago that feel or how long ago that was compared to how it doesn't feel that long ago. Mm-hmm. I haven't had enough caffeine yet. I haven't been <laughs> able to speak clearly all morning. Um, what I find interesting is that you started out in the Teach for America program and I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I was your uh, summer institute. What was that title called? Advisor?
1: Yeah, like a uh, faculty advisor. Faculty advisor, yeah. Term.
0: And, you know, there were some people that I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no, abort, like pull the shoot. But you were one of three people that within the first two days, despite you know your skill level in terms of class management or you know pedagogical delivery anything like that I was like that guy that guy's gonna be able to do this like no problem uh and so to sort of see you uh develop and take on these new roles and and continue seven years later uh patting myself on the back a little bit (laughs) I feel like uh somebody who you know uh I feel like me when I discovered John Legend a year before everyone else discovered John Legend. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I was on that before all of y'all. But I I wonder, because you are now, I think, the third person that I've had on this show who was affiliated with Teach for America. Uh, One was a former student of mine who just finished Teach for America. Uh, another person was someone who is pretty high up as an assistant superintendent at a district. And he, his experience was decades ago. Um, now that yours is approaching a decade, which is crazy. <laughs>
1: that is very crazy. <laughs>
0: uh, how do you reflect on that experience uh, in Teach for America and the whole program in general?
1: That's a great question, and it's something that I feel I, I frequently reflect on, mm. um, especially because I remember being a uh, undergrad at Cal, and uh, the recruiter kept emailing me about joining Teacher America. By the way,
0: you very subtly dropped the fact that you went to Berkeley. You're like, yeah, I'm smart. I went to Berkeley. Anyway.
1: <laughs> it was my dream school since yeah. eighth grade. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, listen, I, you got to fall on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the recruiter um who is, was very good at her job um finally got me to meet with her and um at the time i was i think um not as open minded about how complex and nuanced all systems in our world are mm. and so i think i thought of the program very critically and i i knew that for me um it would be difficult to identify with this program but I decided to give it a shot, and uh, what were
0: some of your hesitations? At um, the time,
1: I think that I just when I thought about my educational experience, mm-hmm. I know that I had a lot of teachers who had just such a strong passion for what they did, and I think that the fact that it's a designed for uh, talented, promising young people that then transition to a different career, yeah, that part um, un- felt unsettling. It was like
0: a there's definitely a vibe from the outside anyway that Teach for America is like and it's like a boot camp for resume building for the you know the yuppie elite almost. Um, yeah, and obviously that's not that. the case, but I I can see how you know going into it you're like, "Look, this is not sort of w- what I'm about." But what did she say that changed your mind?
1: Um I think she posed a question to me and she that question was um, about how we change systems. And um, at the time I was very set on changing systems by essentially destroying them. I was, Just like, you went,
0: yeah, I was like, you went to Berkeley. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that's like your side major of everybody. anybody who goes to Berkeley, <laughs> the side major is burn it all down, <laughs> fight the man.
1: <laughs> so I definitely, I thought that that's the way that was the the best approach. and um i think as a student of literature too i learned a lot about how to how to read nuance and complexities and so I, mm. I the question she posed was it could be you or it could be someone else teaching young people and uh i felt very empowered by that question because it made me realize that um at the at that point in my life um it actually felt like the right thing to do mm. um not to say that it was easy and that i didn't think Especially that summer when I was learning and it was a very hard, um, what did I get myself into? That's I mean, something that yeah. I thought about all the time. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I joke that at Summer Institute, it's like,
0: oh, I heard you have, uh, taken a couple swimming lessons. Well,
1: there's the ocean. And by the way, it's hurricane season. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah. But I still remember those students from that summer program sure. and they, they definitely help set the tone for how I approached my first year I'm teaching. sure they remember you. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. And I, some further reflections are just that I think that um, ultimately I realized that I didn't have to be part of the narrative of a teacher that teaches two years and then goes on to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually Teach for America has done a lot of studies on um, which teachers stay longer. Hmm. Um, and I was—I felt very empowered at the fact that there was that self-reflection happening in the organization itself. So did they um, have specific, a specific type? That yeah. So the the data essentially shows that um, uh, teachers that share the background of the students they teach tend to stay longer, mm. um, and that was definitely the case for me. Um, Do you think that that has impacted the way that they recruit? Definitely, yeah. really, especially in Los Angeles, which is mm. where I did my my two-year commitment which and i ended up staying at my school for a total of four years right yeah and so i realized that i didn't have to follow the narrative i could be a different educator and mm-hmm. that that started through teach for america
0: when around when did you decide or did you realize hey this is what i want to do with my life was it before you got into Teach for America or was it sort of during the process? Cause that kind of happened for me. I kind of fell into teaching and I I had a, I had a teacher ask me, it was after her first year and she was kind of struggling and she was like, when did you know that this was the career for you? I was like, mm, year eight. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just sort of like happened. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, it, you know, I, I, I knew I was passionate about what I was doing and Uh, I knew it mattered a lot to me, Um, but I was kind of like one foot in the door, one foot out the whole time. I just didn't allow myself to commit to it. And then one day it was kind of like, oh, this is what I should be doing. And and so that's why I'm always interested in asking this question to see where where in your timeline you realized education was your
1: pathway. I think that for me... It definitely happened in the middle of it all, so not. I I wouldn't say that when I started teaching, I felt like this is what I meant to do. I still had a lot of questions about it, and I think the biggest question for me was, um, I knew that I was not prepared and didn't have the skill set mm-hmm. to to lead the classroom that I was asked to lead. There were a lot of needs in the in my class, and sure. I I well, knew what that grade they, did you start with? I started in middle school, sixth grade. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I I miss that age. But, I mean, sixth yeah. graders are great because they come
0: in there like teeny tiny kids. They are. But the problem <laughs> is that by, toward the end, they start inhabiting these like middle school bodies. And they're uh, yes, just this like, is oh true. my God. This is true. What happened?
1: And I think I actually felt a lot of guilt that I was the leader of this classroom and I didn't have the skills yet. I was still developing them to to be the best teacher I could be. And Mm. I was very hard on myself. I've always been very hard on myself. Um, And so for, I would say my first year, I definitely felt like maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe somebody more equipped needs to be um, in charge. Mm. Um, And, you know, those were, I think I was very critical of myself. And what I've learned is that the teachers that I talked to, veteran teachers that had gone through their teacher prep programs, all felt the same their first year. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) and that made me realize that okay so maybe this is part of the learning it's just you feel not good enough all the time oh no for sure it's
0: like shout out to my first year kids uh sorry for ruining eighth grade science i (laughs) I did my best i just had no idea what i was doing yeah
1: and then ultimately i think i began to think of teaching um as a lot of seed planting Mm. um and um i i just think that I, it's not realistic to expect that they're going to inhabit all the values and mindsets and qualities that uh, that we're trying to build together at the beginning of the year. Those are things that may just happen two years later when they're in high school or when they're but in college. But you also
0: have that advantage that you have this advisory that you get to kind of loop with. Well, not kind of, you do loop with them every year. Um, but there are a lot of teachers who they have their kids, and then they move on and that's it.
1: Yeah. And it, it's that group of kids. I mean, I love them so much. Yesterday we had a we celebrated summer. <laughs> we had a pinata and goodie bag, wow. um, a photo booth. And we just do a lot of things to, to stay connected. And yeah. it's, it's great to see that development over the Cause course. that's
0: part of the purpose of advisory is to create a sense of community and foster relationships to give, uh, students an opportunity to connect with teachers in a way that they wouldn't otherwise, um, which is a really kind of, it's a really cool thing. Just not a lot of schools offer it.
1: I wish more did. I do think though that it's a very difficult job. Mm. It feels um, overwhelming at times because teenagers, I mean, I, yeah, they have teenager problems (laughs) and um, sometimes we're at the, at the front of helping them navigate to how to find solutions and, that can be that can feel overwhelming
0: it's it's really profound actually the connection that you can have with advisory kids because you don't have to worry about being like a teacher you know what I mean you, you don't have it's just a different vibe that you get to put out um, and even though I try to share a lot about myself with my students and i I, I try to be loose uh, as loose as I can, there is still a level of this is content that I need to give you and it's incredibly important that you learn this and, you know, it's part of my livelihood and job that I do well. And so there is that aura of that when I'm teaching still as as much as I like to, you know, be loose and and have fun. Um, but with advisory, you know, there's nothing. You say, you know what, I, I was noticing that y'all are... uh feeling a certain kind of way about a certain kind of subject. Let's let's work on that this week and let's, you know, talk about that. Or, hey, I know testing is coming up and you're nervous. Let's just do, do some things this week to lighten the stress and, you know, do team building or whatever. I, you know, I had an advisory at a charter school like eight years ago. And uh, I had those kids for two years. Because uh, it was middle school, so I had him seventh and then eighth grade. And it's crazy how connected I am to all those advisory kids still.
1: Yeah, I'm expecting to be invited to weddings, graduations from college. Mm-hmm. I told them already, invite me to all your things. Yeah. I will go to them.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, 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 t- I told my wife, I was like, there, there there's a certain, there are a couple handfuls of kids that I have really stayed in uh, close contact with. And I was like, I will be hurt. <laughs> if I am not invited to those weddings, because like, I mean, it's just where it's cause I know they will. And we're, we're, we're so connected. And that's part of it is that you get to have that, uh, interpersonal dialogue that doesn't get obscured. And I hate to use that word, but it kind of is, it's obscured by whatever content you have to teach. What was your switching gears a little bit? What was your upbringing? Like, were you always a good student did you, was school a place that you loved to be?
1: I loved learning. So mm-hmm. school itself, because of the social components, wasn't always easy for me. Um, I've, I've always been an introvert, so I just rather be alone mm-hmm. <laughs> for most of the time to recharge. Um, but I loved learning. I loved reading. I loved writing. Um, and I, I, I definitely felt that the feedback my t- teachers gave me on my writing skills specifically you know, it felt good for someone to tell you you're good at this. And and so I wanted to be even better at it. And so I worked really hard. And um, I was always a rule follower, <laughs> um, which being a teacher um, has taught me to appreciate the rule breakers. Because I definitely feel that if you've always been a rule follower and you um, don't ever um, try to understand why rule breakers exist, I think that's that could be a really... Uh, a limiting lim- limiting experience. Mm. So being a teacher has taught me to really appreciate rule breakers. Um, but yeah, always a rule follower. Um, and always did too much. I think about all the things I did in high school. I did band. I did all these clubs and taking multiple AP classes, you know. So it was something that I, reflecting on, I just don't know how that I was able to do that.
0: <laughs> I think it's really funny though that you say that you were an introvert, but you were deeply involved
1: in school. You were in all these clubs, you were Yeah. Well, there were definitely spaces where I felt safe. So um mm. and being a musician, that was something that um uh, well I I was passionate about it. And so I think I could I could endure the fact Would that you play? I was in a room with like a hundred other people. <laughs> what instrument did you play? Uh I played the French horn. Yeah. Shout out to all French horn players out
0: there. (laughs) (laughs) So you did well in school and then you went to a really prestigious university and now you're here and you're teaching and you are teaching in a largely underserved community. That's been the bulk of your uh, experience as a teacher. What do you do in order to connect with your students?
1: Um, I think I've definitely relied on the fact that we have similar backgrounds to connect with my, st- I use that to connect with my students. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the majority of all the classes I've ever taught have been um, students that come from um, Latino, Hispanic backgrounds. And so that's also my background. And uh, I'll often use Spanish terms of endearment when I refer to them. Mm-hmm. I'll say corazón, come here. <laughs> or um you know, I'll crack a joke in Spanish and Yeah. Um whenever they gossip, I always I always say I don't want to hear the chisme. Yeah. And so things like that where there's like just like an instant connection. Sure. Um and also I think uh, aside from that, when I because I don't think that uh teachers are always able to rely on that. Um But there's something important about
0: learning some of the dialect and being able to code switch a little bit because when you're modeling that for students, but two, you're allowing yourself to say, I'm going out of my comfort zone to reach out to you in a way that's not disingenuous. Um, And so I I think that you're right that it's not always easy for other teachers, but at the same time, that's kind of why it's important is to, to, to seek those things out. Um, What advice would you have for somebody who, just has, you know, in their minds, zero historical connectivity with the students they teach. Uh,
1: the advice I'd have is first that students can always smell when you're being fake. So if you are, if your Fear intention can. behind um, trying to connect with them in that mm-hmm. particular way is um, fake, they will know it. <laughs> That's number one thing. Um, and second, uh, learning from them. So. Um, I think a lot of the times it's just asking them about how they how they how they want to interact with you. Um, so there isn't like a like one answer to yeah. that. I think it's a lot of just getting to know your class and I have some some periods and over the years who they're just a lot quieter and they, they just need me to also be a lot quieter with them and Lots of high energy groups and I don't have a choice but to be high energy because then they'll 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 lead the class.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say that you know if you're an introvert, there is nothing that will get you out of your introverted mindset like being a teacher because you it forces you to come out.
1: Yeah and that's I think some of, one of the reasons why I often feel so tired at the end of the day mm. as an introvert I, I well I give my all always to my mm-hmm. students and um, that does mean that it depletes my energy pretty quickly, (laughs) but to just to add one more thing about, um, the advice, um, I would also say that vulnerability is a a great way to connect with your students because when you are, um, when you're an adult and you model vulnerability for students, they pick up on that right away and they, they respond with vulnerability. And so that's another way to connect with students and you don't necessarily need to share their background to have that connection.
0: Right. And, and, you know, you were saying Getting to know the students, it's also really important that teachers uh, not create a one-way path of, tell me about yourself, and then I'm not going to share anything.
1: That's very true, yeah. <clears throat> and obviously, whatever feels safe to share. Of course. Um, but um, students really appreciate when we share openly about ourselves, and I think it's also a dangerous it can be a dangerous territory. I know I, I, I've had teachers in the past where it's like, it's not, I'm not even learning anything. You're just telling me about your life all the time. And that's M- not what you want to do, obviously. Right. Um, so it's finding a, 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 a way to relevantly share. Okay, that's
0: about. true. And, and just life in general, don't be an overshare. <laughs> like no, no, nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares about all of it. Give us small bites. Yes. We don't, we don't need your life story every day. Uh, what kind? So now that you've been in this long enough and you are a very reflective person, what teachers have you had that you ha- found yourself to model your style after? Uh, and what types of teaching have gone the other way where you're like, I need to make sure I don't exhibit that as a teacher? Because I imagine the kind of teachers you had in the past affect the kind of teacher you are today. Is that fair to say?
1: I think it's fair. Um, Definitely a lot of my English teachers that I've had have shaped my style as an English teacher. Um, One of my favorite teachers ever was Mr. Gordon, ninth grade English, and I teach ninth grade now. And sadly, uh, my classmates were not nice to Mr. Gordon. (laughs) Mm. Um, He was an older man and hard of hearing, and um, he was often the the butt of, of the jokes of all the ninth graders, um, but I loved him because of how passionate he was of whenever he he introduced a new text and um, when we read together, I could just see how much he loved what he was doing, mm-hmm. and that's something that I try to definitely, um, to to echo when I'm mm-hmm. when I'm teaching. I think that a lot of the times with when students are introduced to complex texts, which as we know. Um, is so so important right now that students can navigate complex texts. Um, it can feel boring if the teacher is bored, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I try to be very excited. and And most of the time, I I pick things that I think are exciting. So mm-hmm. uh, I definitely think that the, being passionate is something I picked up from my ninth grade English teacher, as well as my AP Language and Literature teacher, who um, his name is Neil. And Neil and I are actually friends still, <laughs> so as you're calling him Neil <laughs> <laughs> um, and in terms of the maybe the teachers that I'm trying to to do the opposite of what they yeah. did, a lot of them were just doing a lot of the thinking for the students, mm-hmm. um, especially sadly, in some of my science classes, like I don't think I ever really did scientific inquiry. Hmm. <laughs> it was just kind of like steps that I followed, and yeah, and I think that was a that's a testament to. Um, maybe some low expectations that were placed on students. Like
0: over scaffolding. That's something that I really struggled with uh, for a few years uh, in the middle, especially of my teaching uh, where, you know, I was so concerned with my students doing well that I over planned and over explained and just like created all these safety nets so that they wouldn't fall and fail and one day I said, you know, I'm just going to try this differently for this one particular assignment. It was like a research project. And uh, I I just, I give them no safety nets and no real parameters. Just like, here's what I'm expecting at the end. And I mean, the kids crushed it. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I, I don't have to put on all this work to create these safety nets. Uh, because one, it's important for kids to be able to understand how to fail and learn from that. And it's also important to have a little bit more faith in your students' ability to think and, 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 and attack learning. Um, and so when you said that about your science teachers, it I mean, that really resonated with me because it's like, oh yeah, I, like I said, there were like two to three years right in the middle of my career. It's kind of funny that it happened right in the middle, but I mean, I just like, if if I if that lesson could have been idiot proof, I would have done it because I just didn't want I was so worried that my students were going to not succeed. I wanted that. I, I so desperately wanted them to do well that, you know, you become that uh, helicopter parent. Right.
1: <laughs> There's also a lot of pressure for uh, teachers to uh, I mean, every year that I've taught, um, I always have to really think about, okay, so why the students who are not doing well in my class, why are they not doing well in my class? And initially, um, I think we might think that the answer is very simple, like, oh, it's because, you know, they're not turning in their assignments. And I've learned that it's sometimes more complex than that, but there's this pressure to really help students be successful. And now that I'm in high school, um, when I was a sixth grade teacher, I thought, you know they have seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, mm-hmm. all the way to twelfth grade to like really like get there. And now that I'm a ninth grade teacher, I'm I'm more worried yeah about um, students who are struggling because grades
0: suddenly matter. Yeah, like, I mean completely. your GPA
1: is a big predictor of where you will end up, whereas, yep. where the students will end up.
0: I would tell students freshmen all the time: You don't pass this class. The sound you hear is the sound of a thousand doors shutting, because you now have a permanent blotch. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you won't have other doors, but, you know, I just want you to have as many doors open as possible. And if you are not trying and you fail this class, you now have less doors. Um, And it's, yeah, it's super scary.
1: And this is what makes teaching, I think, I I know that I'm not the only one who thinks this, but um, teaching is so complex Mm -hmm. and nuanced and finding that balance of how do I support my students, but also how do I give them an opportunity to, to get there without the support, which is what university is going, will be like. I think finding that balance is so challenging. And I, I, I wish people could see my lesson planning process because mm-hmm. if they did, they could see like all the, the factors I'm considering. Is this too much? Is this not enough? Yeah. <laughs> um, so teaching, um, I mean, first of all, it's very intellectually stimulating, I think. I, I don't know if a lot of people understand that, how I feel like I, I feel smarter because mm-hmm. I'm a teacher. Um, and then I wanted to mention briefly that in this network where I'm teaching, we have um, um, an alumni coordinator. And so we officially have someone who is looking at data for our students who are in their first year of college. And we had a... Panelist, a student who came, first year student at USC, and um, she kind of was giving us teachers some advice. And so one of the things she said is that I wish I had more opportunities to fail, mm. and that really stuck with me because it made me think about again that balance, supporting students but also giving them yeah. the opportunity to learn from not succeeding. Because I remember my, I mean, when I went to Berkeley. I was sitting in a class where everybody had read uh, the Canterbury tales and I had not. And Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like now I need to read this like right away (laughs) and not feeling not prepared. And I think um, having our students experience that in a way that is still equitable is such a challenge to find a way to do that.
0: Yeah. And so now speaking of allowing
1: people to fail,
0: now you as you said, are not just a teacher, but you're a instructional coach. Yes, that's right. How do you feel that your approach to dealing with adults is different than your approach to dealing with your students?
1: That's a great question.
0: Um, I saw your face contorted in so many ways.
1: (laughs) Well, because I think that coaching teachers is equally intellectually stimulating Mm. because you, when I walk into a classroom and do an observation, my main goal is how can I support um, my teacher's development? And it involves thinking about all the layers that go into being a teacher. And you have to kind of work together with the teacher you're coaching to decide what is the most reasonable next step to work on. Um, so I would say probably the same then. <laughs> <laughs> because that's also what I do when I think of, when I look at my class classroom data, what is the logical next step for this class for this group of students Um, and in terms of the opportunities to fail and learning from failure I think maybe with adults I think of it slightly differently and it's more of of coming in as a coach respecting their process and knowing Mm -hmm. that they will be at different stages in classroom leadership or classroom management curriculum design um, and I will not always witness like a master teacher in action Mm -hmm. for those different layers. And I have to be okay with that. So I guess in some ways it might be similar, but my approach is just, I I know that they're still developing those skills and they're going to be great at some and need a lot of support in others. I will say the
0: one commonality between students and teachers is uh, that for the ones who are the most challenging, neither of them want (laughs) you to be there. (laughs) <laughs> and they're just like just leave me alone um it yeah it's it's it can be really challenging to deal with adults because there's there's like a stigma about well you're my peer so it's hard for me to uh advise you on anything or you're older than me or you've done this longer than i have uh whereas as a student it's like oh you're just you're a kid let me teach you right and so i think uh it's really easy for someone working with adults and i say this from a lot of experience in doing this uh getting in your own head about it um i'm it's something that i still work on it's uh it's hard for me for sure to uh you know i'm i'm like you know a lawn gnome i'm tiny <laughs> I'm cherubic <laughs> and I come in and like, Hey, how are your instructional practices? And they're like, I've done this for 20 years. Why are you here? I did not ask to make three wishes or I didn't ask you to spin this hay into gold. Why are you in my classroom? Uh, and it, you know, it, it's definitely a challenge and it's something that, uh, you know, I, I definitely admire your ability to, uh, get in those classrooms and create a safe space for dialogue without the teachers in question feeling uh, like they like their space is being invaded
1: you know what i mean and i i, I would say that i'm lucky to have um, my school leader the, my principal and the reason why i actually decided to leave my previous school uh, i really just really believed in her vision for for our current school um does a really good job of selecting um or hiring people who are going to be open to feedback and coaching and so i i haven't i've had limited experiences with um maybe adults who resist mm. um but i think that that's something that I, I i would like that challenge even though i probably would regret it oh just go to a public
0: school <laughs> <laughs> you want it go you got it
1: yeah and and i don't know how i would do but yeah. I, I would think that a lot of the the tools i use now like could would would um i could probably transfer them but maybe it would be a lot of trust building in the beginning because when that I mean that's that's really yeah
0: yeah. you can't come in guns blazing Mm -hmm. you just have to go in and 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 listen and let them tell you what they want to tell you Mm -hmm. um and if in your first interaction with them like maybe make a suggestion but maybe not maybe don't make any suggestions uh and I was talking to a principal the other day about this and I was like you know this is not going to be a grand makeover by the end of the year with this teacher. But if I can get this one teacher who's really entrenched, I mean, deeply entrenched in decades-old practices that have not worked. Uh, This teacher told me, you know, I'm I'm doing all these things and I see what all the other teachers are doing and they're getting great results. And then I do what they do, but I don't get the results. And so eventually I just had to come to to accept the fact that it's everyone else and not me. (laughs) And I was like, oh, it's an interesting perspective. Um, And if I can get that teacher to try one new thing by the end of the year, I mean, that's a huge victory. It sounds so minimal and it sounds so defeatist to say, oh, just try one thing. But really, I mean, that's that's a monumental shift because change is so scary and so hard. And to say, just try this one new thing. And if you find success by the end of this year with that one thing then you might be open to hearing more about your instructional practices because early in my career, I used to think that the problem with bad teachers is that they weren't in teaching for the right reasons. Uh, and as I've gone through years of exposure to different types of people and I've made efforts to get to know them, even though I disagreed with their instructional practices, uh, I have found that the majority, I mean, the vast majority, we're talking in the 90% that range are there for the right reasons. They just uh, have a skewed view of something or a lack of exposure. And uh, I can imagine if somebody just walked up into my classroom and said, you know, you're doing this wrong because you don't see how other people should see things.
1: I'd be like, uh, who are you, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's really hard. I think you identify something really important that I've learned um, through the last couple of years that I've done a c- coaching. And that's that um, the one of the biggest roles of an instructional coach is helping teachers navigate fear. Mm. Because I've learned that in a profession where... Things are always changing. And just when you think you have something figured out, you realize there's something better and now you have to learn that. Um, you're always feeling like you're behind as mm-hmm. a teacher. Like there's a better strategy, a better resource. And there is a fear of, of I think, sometimes appearing unskilled. Mm. Um, and I wish we the culture of teaching was one where everyone felt right. like I'm learning every day. And, right. and really that is my approach to, I think the reason why I've been able to stay this long because you know, the teacher turnover. turn over. Um,
0: But the culture of medicine is, is just that it's we're learning all the time, continuing mm-hmm. our research and our understanding of new methods. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I give this example all the time. And so uh, forgive me for all the people who have heard this a bunch of times, <laughs> but I mean, if we treated, uh, medicine the way we treat teaching you know we'd still be doing bloodletting to (laughs) to cure diseases it's just like no we of course we're going to progress of course we need to try new things Mm. and we all need to be on board with that there's no old doctor who is like syringes I don't believe in that I'm just not (laughs) not enough but but meanwhile we have teachers who are you know uh toward the latter half of their career and there's like technology I don't need it's like grow. It's okay. It's
1: totally yeah. okay. Yeah, and I think that there's, as a coach, there's great um, skill in navigating that fear with your teachers. And I've, I don't, I definitely have not mastered it. Nor, um, nor have I <laughs> judging by my tone. <laughs> um, but I I think, yeah, I think if, um, if I ever did like a PhD program in education, which is uh, something that I've thought about, um, I think I would like to, in some ways tackle that, um, I, it feels to me like just like an unspoken truth or like a, an elephant in the room where a lot of the times teachers were made to feel like we need to know it all and that that mm-hmm. means you're a good teacher. Yeah. Um, when in fact I think the opposite, I think being a good teacher is knowing that there's always a, w- a better way to do something. And it's okay if right now you're trying a strategy and tomorrow you change it up.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. if teaching, I I totally agree. Teaching should be less about, I know all of this versus I'm an expert at how to learn.
1: Yeah, that's a great way to think about it.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) And on that wonderful compliment, I think this is a great uh, place to end it. Uh, you ready to play some games and have some fun with some segments? Sure. Yeah, (laughs) I'm ready. Okay. So our first segment is called Teach Me Podcast Guest. And I love this because I like to learn and I love to learn from my guests. And this is an opportunity for you, the expert, in whatever you'd like to teach us, to teach me and the rest of the podcast audience anything. We've had people come out and teach uh, science lessons on this show. Uh, we've had uh, people come out and teach about, um, now I can't remember the other things that they've <laughs> had us on. Uh, what has been the other stuff that they've taught us? Oh, we've had people ironically come and teach everyone how to, uh, make a really good cup of tea. Uh, you can teach us anything. doesn't matter what it is. What is something you'd like to teach
1: the podcast class audience? So I will be teaching you how to say hello in Russian.
0: Oh, I know. (laughs) And this is actually really appropriate. Uh, I mean, I'm glad that I'm learning it from you rather than uh, Trump. I'm sure he could teach us as well.
1: (laughs) This is true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I wanted to to tell you why I I want to teach you that. Because they're going to take over the country and <laughs> <laughs> we need to learn their language. Aside from, from that, <laughs> that minor point. Um, so I thought about what would be something I could teach that um, maybe revealed something like random about me. And um, the random thing that I have to share is that when I was in, I, I think it was between my either eighth grade and or ninth grade. Between eighth grade and ninth grade, I went to this super nerdy academic camp. Um, and it was... Like uh, when by you, the way... <laughs> talk about redundant (laughs) (laughs) you you, all you had to say was
0: academic camp and we would have been like yeah super nerdy
1: (laughs) yeah and um there was like enrichment workshops at this camp and so i was taking a writing class um but one of the enrichment workshops was this uh like conversational russian class Um, naturally (laughs) (laughs) and i i do know that one of the reasons why i wanted to do that class was because i had a, a little crush on the instructor um, but also, I just thought, how random would it be for this um, Latino boy from East LA to like speak <laughs> conversational Russian? Also, I'd like to take this time to apologize to all native Russian speakers because <laughs> <laughs> you're about to butcher it. <laughs> because I will likely, I, I learned this from someone who was not a native speaker, and so I it might be wrong. Mm. But I have used it with like. Russian speaking people and I've never had a problem with them. understanding me. Okay. They're often very impressed. (laughs) Uh, so (laughs) I I will tell you that when I was in high school, I worked at a movie
0: theater and I worked with a guy, his name was Roman and he was, I mean, right from straight out of Russia, uh, to the point where he was just like, you know, we would joke if he asked, if he knew any KGB people, he'd be like, yeah, (laughs) like we all do. We all know KGB people. Uh, (laughs) And so, uh, after the show, I could teach you how to say the most horrifically vile things oh. in Russian. Okay. Because when you're a teenager, you don't really care to learn uh, anything but really disgusting curse words. Okay. Uh, so, I appreciate that you're going to teach us something wholesome and useful <laughs> as opposed to something that you might scream at someone who cut you off. Okay. Yeah, on the freeway.
1: Yeah. I learned too. Okay. I, I'd like to learn some of that too. <laughs> so, um, the first thing you should know is that there are a lot of consonants in the formal hello mm. so be ready for that okay <laughs> so the first syllable or um yeah the sound pattern is this just the word hello or is it like the phrase like hey how are you it's just hello Whoa. but it's okay a lot longer than you might think <laughs> <laughs> like it's not they don't have like a russian equivalent of like what's up they do and i will oh. teach you that that's okay. the second thing i'll okay, you, or teach us um okay so um the first sound pattern is Zdrast. Zdrast. And you could think of it as a -A Z-D-R-A-S-T.
0: Okay. Zdrast. It's like a Z-D-L-R kind of
1: situation. Sure. Zdrast. Okay. Zdrast. Next sound pattern is Vui. Vui. Zdrast Vui. Zdrast Vui. And the last sound pattern is tia, Tie. tia. With like an N at the end. No N. Just like T I E or T Y E or whatever. T I E or T Y E H. That's again. So and the the stress will be on the first sound pattern. So it'll sound like this: Zdrast vuitie. Oh God. Zdrast vuitie. On the second syllable, <laughs> uh, try to enunciate the I sound more. So listen one more time: Zdrast vuitie. Vui, Okay. Good job. Wow.
0: <laughs> I'm really sad afford. that I'm really sad that the Americans is no longer on because I would have totally auditioned for background guy who just yelled hello at everyone. <laughs> it's the worst character in the Americans. I'm just at the bus stop. And I'm like, okay, why is he just yelling hello? This has nothing to do with spy yeah. networks. Okay, so you got that one. Yeah, well, I mean, as best as I'm going to get it, yeah.
1: <laughs> and the simpler... More informal is much easier. That one's just Privet. 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 I mean,
0: I like that better than Zdrasvuetier, <laughs> which I totally butchered that. Zdrasvuetier? No, I, I, <laughs> it's gone already. Zdrasvuetier. Zdrasvuetier. That's good. I like the other one more. Privet. Privet. Uh, Kind of, like, how I just prefer, like, just the head nod, like, so hey, go. yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. A funny story about um, one of the first times I applied the, m- this very random yeah. knowledge was in um, high school band. There was an Armenian boy that sat next to me and he spoke Russian too. And so, um, when I found out that he did, I started throwing all these random <laughs> phrases, so like, my <laughs> name. Victor, um, yeah. And I just threw them around and he was very impressed. And he said, I never thought I would hear a Mexican speaking Russian. Nice. <laughs> I, w- I will say this, though, uh, for those of you who are listening
0: and you really want to nail the accent. There is a danger in being really good with an accent, but not knowing <laughs> the language. <laughs> uh, I went to Europe for the first time mm-hmm. in the spring and or last spring. And we went to Paris, and I have forgotten almost all of the French that I learned. But we walked into a store, and the lady's like, "Oh, bonjour," and I was like, oh, "Bonjour," and she just started talking to me
1: in
0: in French, and I was like, "Oh no, 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 no!" no. I was like, "I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand all of it. I've forgotten a lot of it." And she was like, "Oh, your accent was just so good," and I was like, "First of all, I, I, I can leave." France now, like king of France, because I feel like I've I I tricked a local into thinking, but there's a danger because you you say one thing and then they just now want to talk to you and you're like, oh, no, no, my bag of
1: tricks is empty. And believe it or not, that's happened to me. I do believe it. (laughs) I was in San Francisco um, and there was a stacking doll story. Mm. And um, I was with my partner at the time and um, I just said, Здравствуйте and she started at first she didn't believe me but then she <laughs> I mean she doesn't believe you like no that didn't come out of your mouth <laughs> but i kept going and then that's when she started talking to me more cuz i guess she just thought i need more than i actually did
0: <laughs> well, yeah cuz <'cause> you started <laughs> acting like you were just a native
1: russian speaker that's what happens we get all
0: excited to share and then it's like bit a bit a bit a bit you like oh nope no nope, i'm done
1: that was it i just know my four cool things and the best part of that was that my partner he did not know that about me and so he looked at me. He's like, "When did you learn how to speak <laughs> so he <was> Russian?" Like,
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I was watching the show The Americans. You're one of those spies. <laughs> yeah, shout out to The Americans. R. A. P. That show it was so good. <laughs> Never uh, watched it, but oh, I'll take you listen, you you've got to watch it. It's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Noted. And you can watch it because there's a lot of like almost half of the show is spoken in Russian. Oh wow! With subtitles, so you. You'd be
1: like, I know what they're saying. I don't even have to read it. <laughs> You'd be that kind of guy. Uh, as long as they're sharing, as long as they're saying hello, name, yeah. <laughs> how they feel, where to find the bathroom, and <laughs> it, just saying hello. There's like again, I'll be that guy in the bus stop. <laughs> hello. Yeah.
0: Well, that was great. Uh, one more time. Zdrastvuyte. Uh, And dasvidanya to the segment. Dasvidanya. Okay, so our next segment. And I love this segment because I, I, it really gives me an idea as to what people are thinking about. I, I'm always thinking about what is an interesting angle to approach education reform. And this is a segment called Build a School. And in this segment, as much as it sounds like you're going to get to make up the whole school as you like, I want you to pick one thing that you would put in a school that you would like to see in every school in the country. uh, It can be something as simple as uh, every school should have 15 minutes of silent sustained reading time or every school should have uh, slides instead of staircases, whatever you want it to be. There's no wrong answer. I mean, there probably is a wrong answer and I'm sure I would find it (laughs) if I looked hard enough. Um, But really, anything you want what is one thing that you would like to see uh, as a piece of educational reform
1: across all schools? I know you, you will believe me when I tell you that I've thought about this so many times. About, <laughs> Even before this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, in terms of, and I think when you're in the, doing the work every day, yeah, you, you're confronted with that. Like, what do my students need? What would be better? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to try and, narrow it down to something that I think is manageable because I have lots of ideas. Well, sure. A lot of them are Berkeley-esque and radical. <laughs> um, Any more protests? Three times a day. <laughs> but I do think that one of the things I would do is, um, I think there would be a late start for students. Um, there's research that shows that late starts are better for right. learning overall. Um, and that, that late start wouldn't be for teachers necessarily because I do think one of the... the Biggest ways teachers can grow and and we can meet the needs of teachers is to just give them more time to do their job. Mm. <laughs> so when I think about like all the grading you have to do and all the uh, planning and um, in my case as a coach uh, observing teachers and giving them feedback, looking at lesson plans, um, there just isn't enough structured time into the day to do all the things that are required of teachers. So I think what I would want is for um, an just like maybe even one whole school day, like let's say Mondays, are just like days for teachers to prep. And maybe students are doing enrichment things on Monday, um, but definitely giving teachers more time. I, obviously, as a teacher, I, that's something that's important to me. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, I just don't know if students need that much school time all the time, I think.
0: I'm, I mean, <laughs> I, I I believe the statistic is that we have our kids in school longer than almost any other country. I mean, not, I think China has this beat, but most other countries, we have our students in school longer. Uh, and also, you know, statistics show that people are more productive in a four-day work week or as productive, if not more, than a five-day work week because uh, there's that burnout after a certain amount of days, uh, I, I, totally agree. Uh, but the idea of, um, we have to figure out what to do with those kids cause I can just hear all the parents say, you're not going to give them to me yeah, <laughs> I'm not taking
1: those kids back. And that's why I think maybe having like, maybe it's still sponsored by the school, whatever mm. activity the student does. And you know, that, that could be differentiated for a grade level. So maybe seniors, it's like an intensive, like college prep, sorry, um, college application prep, Mm-hmm um, especially that, you know, through November.
0: Or like an internship.
1: Internship, um, community service, sports. Um, I think there's a lot of things we can think yeah. of to fill that time.
0: Hey, that sounds great. Mm, <laughs> sign me up. We'll do it. Uh, and I can hear a lot of other teachers also just fully on board. Oh, I get a whole day to pr- to prep and grade and all that. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay, so... We've come to the saddest part of the show. It's the end. Uh, this is the part where I ask every guest to give an extra credit assignment to the pod class audience. This can be a book that you want them to read, uh, an album they should definitely listen to all the way through, a uh, type of food to try. It can be anything you want. What is one thing you would like the pod class audience to do between now and the next show
1: so this is coming from some reflections i'm having already this is my next week will be my sixth sixth week into the school year and i'm reflecting on the power that a teacher has in selecting what students read especially in an english or language-based classroom Um, because um, i made a choice this year to teach a different text that i've taught in the in the past and Mostly because I get bored teaching the same text. But anyway, so the text I chose was um, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, and I was very hesitant because uh, lots of controversial topics. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, what my reflection so far is that students are responding to the protagonist's vulnerability and are really. Um, Exploring their identity because of how this character models the exploration of identity. And so my extra credit assignment is that we think of a book that we've read in the past that has helped us understand our identity and that we recommend someone else to read that book. So a kind of paying it forward of this book had this impact on me. I'd like for you to try and read this book. Very
0: interesting. You're the first person to have an extra credit assignment be give extra credit homework to someone else. Very meta. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting.
1: So, uh does it have to be a book? No, that's a great uh point of clarification. It could be um something definitely with text. So, if it's a song, maybe like with some song lyrics. Mm. Um something with text. Um it could be Movie with a script. A movie with a script. A political cartoon, maybe.
0: Um. <laughs> this Far Side cartoon just changed my life. Uh, actually, you know what I would do? I would probably. Uh, I my kid is three, and I, I cannot wait for the day that she's old enough that I can share my Calvin and Hobbes mm. comic books with her. Calvin and Hobbes. It's like they're they're there in her room. She has no idea what they are, and. The day will come and it will be the best day. I feel like we're going to read Calvin and Hobbes and you are going to laugh because it is hilarious. And then you're going to look at it when you're older and you're going to laugh because it's hilarious on its completely different level. So I feel you. I feel you on that. Uh, well, this is great. Uh, thanks for coming.
1: Thank you for inviting me. And
0: again, podcast audience, share what mattered to you with other people. I think that's a really, uh, I think that's a beautiful message. This end and I am uh, I'm really proud of the fact that you are this far into your career seven years that you are growing uh, you continue to grow and and develop and even though it was only a couple of weeks so I really didn't have that much of a of an impact uh, I I feel very honored to be peripherally connected to what you are doing uh, in in your classes and with your students so. Uh, Good
1: job. Thank you. And never doubt the power of planting seeds. Uh So four weeks may not seem like a long time, but there's a lot that can, a lot of seed planting that can happen in four weeks.
0: All right. Mutual admiration society over. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is our show. Thanks again to my special guest, Victor Gonzalez. And thank you. My pod classmates for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please go right to the PodClass homepage on whatever platform you get the show and leave a five-star rating. The more ratings my show gets, the easier it'll be for people to find and enjoy. Also, don't forget to come back next week for my second Lost interview episode with Gilbert Salazar, restorative justice coach and strategist at the California Conference for Equality and Justice. It is a great episode. going to play with the format a bit. I'm really excited about this. And don't forget, you can find me on social media on all major platforms under the username at TeachMeMrWest, or you can email me at podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. That's all for this week. Thanks again for coming back. Until next time, podclass dismissed.